Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Once again, thanks for tuning in. We are honored uh, that you would spend some time with us, and uh, we hope that today's podcast will be a great blessing to you. We're talking about a, a, the final chapter in this book, Strange New World, and it's called Strangers in a Strange New World. And really, it's the culmination of all the ideas we've been talking about for the last, I don't know how many weeks, about uh, just the... Uh, the strange world in which we are finding ourselves as believers, feeling more and more out of place, more and more marginalized, more and more like the the, the world in which we grew up in is being uh, uh, radically assaulted by a lot of uh, strange ideas. And so hopefully today we're going to chart a course for how we move forward, and we hope you find it helpful. You know, last week we were talking about uh, some important things. They were constitutional things called life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And... Uh, One of the things that we shared about or connected the dots with last week was that the modern notion of uh, freedom of speech, some of the cornerstones of of liberal democracies, you know, our ability to communicate, share ideas without fear of of, uh, reprisal, you know, that we could have civil discourse. All of these things are really under assault right now because of uh, expressive individualism. Uh, It's the whole idea that somehow if I share an idea that suggested your view, or I don't agree with your view, I'm not just attacking your ideas, I'm really attacking your identity. Mm-hmm. And because we can't separate identity from ideas any longer, the very notion of things like being able to speak our minds or, con- or share our religious convictions, or not just share them, express them freely, you know, all of these things are under assault. Yeah, um, freedom of speech is seen as oppressive, seen as a tool for the you know, for those in power to oppress the, the minorities or oppress those who are, uh, you know, marginalized. That's So in addition to the expressive individ- individualism that we talked about, you bring out a good point. It's the whole Marxist template. Marxist template, yeah. It's, it's the oppressed group and the oppressor group, and whoever is currently in power uh, it obviously is oppressing everybody else. And so it just becomes this, this, this turnabout, right, where we just move from changing positions in the oppressor role, I guess. But we, we, uh, all of this is a massive threat on our liberties that we talked yeah. about. So you and I have been following what's going on in the courts, and I just wanted to backtrack a little bit for you guys just to show you how relevant what we're talking about is. This this is coming out every week, and so I just want to connect these dots for you. Um, uh, it says, religious liberty is a human right. Why are the courts so confused? There's two two court cases. One that that's lands on the side of the good guys, at least what we believe about Christian worldview and protecting liberty. The other one it was a, a terrible ruling. Um, the good news came from a decision on the Fifth Circuit two weeks ago. Uh, in the case of Franciscan Alliance, which is a group of Catholic hospitals and doctors that sued the federal government, this was back in 2016, uh, rules issued from the Biden administration. I just want let this sink in uh, again on how tyrannical this type of top-down, um, uh, you know, enforcement of rules coming from a, from a, coming from an administration that does not share our values. Rules issued from the Biden administration would have forced doctors within the Franciscan Alliance, this is a Catholic group of hospitals, to perform so-called, quote, transition surgeries, end quote, on patients with gender dysphoria, as well as provide abortions for patients who requested them. So, I mean, think about this again. These are hospitals that are operating from a biblical Christian worldview. Obviously, we do not embrace the the whole uh, transgen- transgender identity stuff going on. We do not support abortion. Uh, this is this is traditional Christian Catholic universities or hospitals 
simply trying to operate on the basis of their worldview. Uh, but here we have the federal government mandating that, hey, if you're a hospital, you have to provide such and such care. Um, thankfully, the Fifth Circuit respected the Supreme Court's precedent and ruled in favor of the Franciscan Alliance. The bad news came out of a case out of New York in which the trial court ruled that Yeshiva, or Yeshiva University, a Jewish school, must allow an LGBTQ club to establish on campus. This was a strange ruling. They said that the university was not a religious institution. While they are a Jewish school and while they teach the Talmud, they are not a religious institution, which when you say Jewish school, it's like you're saying Christian school or Muslim school. You cannot separate, in my mind anyway, a Christian or a religious ideology that's backing what you're doing there in the name of education. Um, But all of this brought to the fore what it means to be considered religious. Uh, and what it means to, uh, and this, I guess, this is where it's concerning to me because what you have is progressive courts that are increasingly saying, we're going to grant you rights or not rights based upon this religious view, while all the while denying that every view is a religious view. And we talked about this from a worldview perspective. We all have a, a, a worldview that is inherently religious because it's based on assumptions that we hold by faith. Uh, and uh, to, so to suggest or to marginalize Christians or any other religious group as religious really sets up a dangerous precedent because what it says is um, we're going to tolerate your crazy, strange religious views now, but at some point we might consider those views a threat and we might actually be punishing you for those views. That should send chills down our spine as believers because, again, it's a, it is a a threat on our ability to simply express our faith in the public arena uh, under the guise of, uh, okay, we're going to grant you some type of religious exemption. Um, but but it, increasingly, this is what's happening as our culture becomes more and more uh, the victim of this radical expressive individualism. So anyway, I, I'm, uh, I'm concerned about these uh, exemptions that are handed out by, by people who uh, somehow think they're doing us a favor as, as Christians. Um, your thoughts on I, that? Yeah, I, I, I believe that second case that you talked about, the yes, Yeshua, Yeshua, yeah, Yeshiva, Yeshiva yeah. University actually went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court, which I couldn't believe it when I read it, actually aligned with the trial court, I believe. Um, um, Judge Kavanaugh and Judge Roberts, I believe, sided with, with, with the state. Um, but you made a good point of designating religious view because... The way we look at things, every viewpoint, every political viewpoint, every yeah, worldview every viewpoint, is, period. is religious in nature. Yeah. And you can't distinguish between all religion and science because these viewpoints are, are based in how they view the world and not based on some type of empirical data. Yeah. Even science could be very biased. But there was another trial uh, court case that came out from the Fifth Circuit Court, which I believe is the same, same Fifth Circuit Court, which, again, justices were appointed by President Trump. Um, that recently ruled against big tech. Did you hear about this? Yeah, Texas sure. versus big tech. And this was huge. This is huge because what they, what I just heard this last night, what they said is you, the big tech, if you, you have over whatever million subscribers, so big tech, I'm talking about yeah. YouTube yep. and Google and not Google, YouTube, Twitter, yep. um, cannot discriminate between political viewpoints. They cannot censor you, demonetize you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And which I was encouraged to hear that news because that that reasoning was basically saying every political view or viewpoint worldview has validity. 
Right. And what I like is because every political view or viewpoint is inherently religious. Right. So, so, so instead of taking the religion and not religion side, you're basically saying everyone has these different viewpoints and big tech cannot censor or, or, um, or discriminate based on those viewpoints. And it's a Texas rule, Texas law that they, that, that they were going against. But this Texas law, I, I believe, affects the whole nation because uh, you're affect, because you, us living in Indiana is affected by the content creator in Texas. So this might have national impact. I don't yeah. know the implication well, of this. That would be awesome. Of course, you gotta, someone's got to enforce it, and there's got to be penalties and all that when people sure, are absolutely. caught in accountability. But you know, back to this situation, uh, what is concerning is when you studied um, uh, totalitarian regimes, they always go after religious belief and religious thought, and they're trying to marginalize it and, and eventually make it look like you're you're mentally ill. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and this is always used as a pretext for the trampling of religious liberty. So I mean, we got to be deeply concerned. Well, I about just think things. right now there is a, they, there is a conflict in our courts, conflict in our uh, discourse between yeah. based exactly in that conversation of what speech is allowed, and, and we need to be careful to be careful to even uh, be marginalized by these by by pigeonhole into religious speak. Exactly. And we need to be careful to say, well, it's what do you define as religious speak? Because what you're saying is religious speak also. And what the Fifth Circuit yeah. Court in that big tech case is saying, all worldviews are valid. They're not saying religious or non-religious. This is all just your worldview. You right. know? And not just that this is important, not just that you're allowed to have a view, but you're allowed to express your view. Absolutely. That's huge. Um, so these are very, very important things. Uh, and understanding your worldview as a Christian, understanding how to articulate that and how to push back and stand up for truth so that, you know, we're not just trying to push for rights for Christians. We're trying to freedom of religion and, and uh, freedom of speech goes for everybody, whether you're a person of Christian faith or not. So well, these are things that, that are foundational to, to the nation so, that we have. Uh, my question, again, for like the Franciscan case, okay, you might be a doctor who's not Christian or who's not religious, right? who says, I don't want to perform abortions. Do they not have any right then because they don't belong Franciscan? You know, yeah. these are the deep questions that we need to start probing and think through. Do they not have right to say, I don't want to perform a transgender because that's not healthy for my patient? Yeah. You know, these are the deep questions we have to ask because now do they need to be under this umbrella to get protection, but their own conscience has no 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 speech in this case? Yeah. That, that was, was what was disturbing, as you just pointed out, was uh, they ruled that you don't have the right to violate the doctor's personal religious beliefs. It had no, it wasn't a, a, an institutional protection. It was a personal, again, this, this expressive individual, radical individualism coming out, we're going to protect that individual's religious rights. But as you said, what about the institution's right to function according to a worldview, a Christian worldview that's informed by scripture? Uh, so again, these things are all, uh, yeah. even though we won it, we won for the wrong reason and it's, it should concern all of us. So, so yeah. let's get back to the book. We, we, we've been in here for a while and hope it's been really helpful to you all. Of course, I've been preaching about uh, these things as well as it relates to identity. Um, the author, he, we got into a little bit last week, the author did not end the book with the most glowing sense of, of optimism. Yeah. He said, actually, uh, I'm quoting him, it's a kind of a depressing new world for Christians, um, simply because we find ourselves in a world where we're no longer allowed to respectfully disagree without being labeled racists and haters and bigots and and everything else. And so um, I was thinking even even his title here, Strangers in a Strange New World, elicits, if you're rooted in Scripture, it should remind you about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, 
It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Uh, I think it's good, I guess on the one level, it's good to be reminded that even though we've enjoyed this amazing case of a Christian-informed culture in America for years, we've been the beneficiaries of it. That's not true for most believers. And maybe for the first time, we're starting to get a little bit of a taste of what it's like to feel like an exile and a stranger in a strange new world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our job is to make sure we push back and transform uh, America and the world. But in the meantime, we're starting to get a little bit of a taste of probably what most Christians, most centuries before us have felt, you know, been a reality for them. Yeah, and I think think the biggest difference, I guess, with the author, I mean, I, I think a lot of people see this perspective like this pendulum swing in our culture yeah you know you swing towards you know christian um worldview and and reformation of our nations and then you know people get complacent so it swings back and right. we're just we're just allowing watching that swing happen i think a lot of christians think that way and there's some historical legitimacy to that yeah i, I guess my pers- personal perspective is a uh, lot of people feel they're victim to the swing. Like this, we're just swinging this way, and we're just along for the ride. And I, I just believe yeah. that we, we're, we Christians, us who are follower of Jesus, are actually responsible for the swings, and we actually have a big part in allowing we're the, not the right victims. direction. We, we have power. No, that's exactly what it is. We are not victims to yeah. fate or to inevitability of whatever descent into chaos. Yep. And he, he brings out some good points, though, that I've been preaching about for some time, and that's why we're doing this podcast. I've been saying for a long time, we're not going to be able to put our head in the sand, though. And if we think we're not going to be touched by this ideology, uh, we got another thing coming. I think a lot of parents uh, with young kids, yourself included, if you're a part of the public school systems, you're already feeling this pressure now because you're being confronted with a curriculum that promotes some of these ideas. And for the first time, we're watching horror stories, for instance, of kids being groomed, kids being transitioned in certain liberal places right under the nose of their parents. And I think there's a sense of urgency and even a little bit of fear in the hearts of parents like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What do I say? How do we fight this? And so I'm glad he addresses it because... You know, I've been saying this for some time. We're not going to be able to avoid uh, this re- sexual revolution uh, and and the radical individual uh, expressive. Well, I think we avoid it once be- oh, a couple reasons. Sometimes because number one, we don't know how to engage, and yeah. number two, sometimes we avoid it because we feel like it's it's inev- inevitable anyway. So right. what's the point of engaging? Throw up but our hands. Yeah, yeah, and that's a self fulfilled prophecy. You feel like it's going to happen anyway, so you give up. You don't do anything about it. It becomes mm-hmm. ine- inevitable. But, but there's a completely different mindset, which is if we engage, if we actually do something about it, the quicker we engage, the harder we engage, we can yeah. reverse it. It's not, yeah, it, it's, it's not, not a lost cause. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the author helps us out here. He says, you know, basically, how do we respond to this growing sense of urgency uh, when we're faced with the pressure to conform to what's going on around us? And the first thing he talked about is understanding our complicity as a church. So let's talk about that. What what, what does he mean there? Uh, our complicity. Well, complicity how, how have we been in complicity? Specific to ex- expressive individualism. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is a nuanced issue. I, mean, I have kind of my personal thought on this. Basically, expressive individual is not all bad. Yeah. It's not all evil. And we talked about that. Yeah. This whole idea of making room for your inner space, that we have emotions, yeah. that we have a thought process going on on the inside of us, 
that's all true and it's good. And we've seen, you know, biblically in the Psalms, right, with David, yeah. or we've seen with uh, St. Augustine and some of the confessions. authors' confessions. And, yeah. and even he quotes Jonathan Edwards with uh, his, his uh, historical uh, classic, uh, Religious Affection. Um, that we need to get in touch with the fact that it's not all in the head. We, right. we, are, we are people who have hearts and emotions. But what's the difference between today's radical, you know, expressive individualism and how we used to, you know, kind of deal with our emotions in the past? Yeah, and I think this is a subtle difference, but it's an important difference is, is even when we consider what's in our hearts and we dig deep into our emotions and the source of our wounds and hurts and whatever, there is a external context that we cannot ignore. Right. This internal emotions or this internal reality we feel is still, it has to be in context. It has to align with the external context of who God is. So, the so there's a is. transcendental framework or reality of truth that we bring our emotions and we process them through that. Yeah, group. we're not victims to to these emotions. They're not in it itself. These emotions, these feelings still has to eventually make, we got to make room, but eventually it has to align with the truth of the gospel, the truth of the world, natural laws. Uh, and that alignment, I think, is the huge difference. So, so it's a belief that there's an authority outside of ourselves. And I think, you know, this yeah. whole view says, no, I am the authority. Am and it doesn't matter if anybody, authority. yeah, it doesn't matter if anybody I, agrees I with me or not. A lot of this is a response to the time in, in, in church and other authoritarian institutions which, who never talks about those emotions, never talk. It's all about suck it up and just do it. Right. Just, just, just go and worship. There's no emotion. I mean, I, I grew up in a culture. I've heard people tell me, like, there should be never any emotions Expressing worship, right? You know, some of these religious culture, like we shouldn't play guitar or or drum because they elicit emotion. Which turns you into a robot, you know? Right. Um, and so there's this huge uh, response to this expressive emotions, and but they go to the extreme, right? You know, of this this radical well, and, emotional. And he brings out a good point authority. historically. The church today and the church, you know, two thousand years ago are two different things. I mean, you're, you're looking at. In your community, you had probably one option. It was the church or the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Now we have hundreds of options, sometimes in the same community, yep. uh, which means that the, the locus of authority has gone from, say, a religious leader uh, to now the individual. We, we've all become consumers. And I remember reading a, a, a sad account, but of a person who liked the worship at Church A, he liked the children's ministry and the preaching at Church B, so he would go to Church A for the worship, leave and cr cross the street to go to the other side of town because he liked the preaching and the children's ministry better. That's the epitome of kind of this consumerist culture in which we find ourselves, which isn't healthy. But yeah. so, so we're basically being complicit to the problem. I, I mean, I, 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 as much as I don't like that example, that's very much the message that's communicated by churches today. It's like, hey, we're going to have an awesome this program so people can... You know, and it becomes a consumer program because it becomes a becomes a uh, we're, we're delivering some kind of product. Right. You know? And he said we're all we're all preaching the cult of personal happiness, uh, which again we have to watch that the focus of our of our teaching and preaching is not to cater to uh, felt needs, which is basically the the, the fundamental assumption of the seeker sensitive I, movement, which I, many churches have bought into. This this is a subtle nuance point because you do want to engage people where they're at. You do want to meet them. Jesus met people where they're at, you know? Right, right. But again, there is the subtle difference of saying, hey, yeah, we do want to engage people. We want to help meet their needs. We want to grow them. But at the same time, it's like, okay, where's that line which we cross into yeah. all about them? So right. these are subtle areas that's not easy to navigate through. Yeah, you're exactly right. They, we have to finesse our way through it. Realizing, I think his point was just realizing we're part of, we're immersed in a culture 
whether we know it or not, that's influencing us. This is the world. This is the air which we breathe. It's funny, like from that, from that church leader perspective, do we say, "Oh, we, we we're going to have a really bad children ministry then, so right. this way that people won't come here just because they want." You know, like <laughs> we want to build character. We want our worship to be as dull as possible, <laughs> yeah. so that we people, don't want you to enjoy we it. We don't want people to have any emotional, illicit, uh, passing response because we want. To, I mean, it's so so it's, it's right, a subtle right, right. place, you know. It's like. Well, what's the other, what do we, what's our other options? Just kind of be as dull as possible, you know, and so that people only worship God, you know, like, so, so, uh, yeah. so we want us to be fully alive. We want our worship to be passionate. Uh, we believe that honors the Lord, yeah. but we don't want to make an idol out of ourselves. It's not about me at the end of yeah, the day. It's the about con- him. Within the context of all this, it still points to God. So, all right. Yeah, so quickly so, here, yeah. he says, secondly, we need to learn from the ancient church. And this is interesting, you know. The ancient church um, was accused of a number of things. They they're actually accused of being uh, sexually perverted because their when they had communion together, these were called love feasts, mm. and and the secular world interpreted love feasts as orgy. Yeah, they need uh, to have a, a marketing meaning about that term <laughs> <laughs> to, to to call it anything but that. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because that was the that was the perverted culture. Yeah, which they that's lived. in the Roman culture. I we're mean, in the yeah. same kind of perverted. American yeah. culture today. So we're not calling it a lo- no love feast. We're not, no love feast. <laughs> you don't like church. that. <laughs> the other thing they were accused of, interesting enough, was of being seditious because they only ascribed uh, the authority to Jesus. In fact, the the mantra of the early church, one of the earliest mottos of the earliest church, was Jesus Christ is Lord. So yeah. they didn't bow to Caesar. And this is exactly where we find ourselves today. This is why many people think the church is the problem. We are we are the ones who are a threat to society. We just heard the president of the United States call conservative Americans, you know, threats to democracy. So it's interesting that some of the same values that we share, you know, we would say, no, we love, we love people. We just don't love sin. Well, we're, we're a threat to democracy. We're a threat to people's identity. We're, we're the reason people are committing suicide today because we don't value them and embrace them. I mean, you can see a lot of the similar yeah. things. And he's saying, hey, we need to get back to the secret of the, the ancient church that was known by strong communities, strong relationships in the local church, almost a counterculture community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's some validity to that. You know, find, you know, we're talking about that even with market share, how important it is for community business uh, leaders to get together and to find a common sense of, of unity and cover and support uh, and community in the midst of a secular culture that's becoming more and more hostile yeah. to their faith. So um, that was the second point, which I thought was good. And he also, just to point out here, he said, find ways to, you know, through common grace that we can find common ground to build for the common good. That's becoming harder and harder to find common ground because this worldview we just talked about has almost no common ground with the Christian worldview at all. Uh, I, the best way to play to to find common grace or common ground really is in your local community. On the national level, it gets way too, yeah. too complicated. Local in your little city, your your local uh, county. Uh, I believe there's still ways to find common ground. Yeah, you know? and we should, and as believers, we should be looking for that. Absolutely, common ground. and and that's easier to build those bridges anyway. And we should do it now. So build relationships now while we're still Absolutely. relatively intact. While we can. While we can, yeah. So learn from the ancient church. Third thing he says is teach the whole counsel of God. And, uh, and, I th- and again, this is something our church kind of majors on. Uh, don't go woke. Um, talk about the issues. But what he said, and I think it's, it's a point well taken, we can't just preach on isolated issues because all of it has to be merged in the coherent whole of Scripture. We, we can't pick and choose. We can't... We can't just uh, pull something out of context. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. All of it needs to be within the whole counsel of God. And we're not allowed as, as pastors, unfortunately, to say, oh, I'm not going to preach on that passage because that one's really unpopular today and that might ruffle some feathers. Let's skip that. We'll go to this next next part that everybody would find more agreeable. Mm-hmm. I don't get to do that as a pastor, and no true man of God has the authority to stand in the pulpit and just pick and choose uh, what we think the audience is going to like. So we've got to preach the whole counsel, and of course the Bible talks about all of life and all of society and all of these issues we're dealing with today. Um, so very, very important. Um, it was interesting. I, I wanted to point out I was at a, at a meeting recently, and uh, the conversation at our table was on a candidate's view on abortion. And this candidate's view was that um, the only biblical ground for abortion ever is to protect the life of the mother, which again is a almost rare if ever occurring situation based on our technology today and healthcare. So it's a moot point. But he was concerned that many of the people in his congregation were upset because this candidate did not uh, uh, support rape and incest as legitimate means for aborting the baby. And and he asked me, "What what do I think? And my response was, here we're expecting our politicians to be more moral and more courageous than we are in our pulpits. And if people in that local church were having problems with that issue, it's because not because the candidate was not you know, succumbing to those exceptions, but why wasn't the local church teaching their people a biblical view on abortion and the sanctity of life? In other words, in other words, we want our politicians to be more moral and more courageous than we are as pastors because we're not preaching the whole counsel of God. We're not talking about these issues. We're not teaching the hard things because we don't want the fallout. We'd rather have, we'd rather have the candidate experience the fallout than us have the fallout because we simply avoided the issue. So we can't do that. And you need to be at a church that preaches the whole counsel of God. You need to go to a church that teaches about uh, all of the things we're facing today from a biblical Christian worldview. And so I, I said a big amen on the on the teaching the whole counsel of God. He, he also pointed out, which I thought was good, uh, we need to get back to some of the historic creeds and historic catechisms that help people understand what they believe because we are increasingly having a biblically illiterate Christian populace, mm-hmm. which does not help the problem. Let's go to the next one quickly, and then we're almost out of time here today. Uh, he said, shape institutions through biblical worship. Talk a little bit about, about that particular section. I mean, I think we, we, we addressed this a little bit. The, the, the biblical worship needs to be directed upwards and not internally through ourselves. Yeah. You know? um, so our posture as believers is upward and outward, not inward and downward you know sometimes you can get in a, in a vortex of depression if you get all internally focused yeah i think there i mean there's a degree of like we said expressing individual in terms of internally focusing um, on what's going on inside your heart that's healthy it's healthy it's emotional emotional health but our our posture for worship is to first and foremost upwards like our worship is towards god and, and his greatness and his goodness and his external reality and yeah. not our internal reality there's yeah. a time and place for that but in worship you know we address and sometimes when we're, when we're focused outward god will dress inward in our hearts in the middle right. of that but but our our, our posturing is towards god first yeah. and i and i just want to say if you come to living stones <clears throat> um you will experience heartfelt authentic passionate 
uh, emotive worship, not emotionalism, which is emotion for emotion's sake. But uh, I've always said this. I learned this from Jonathan Edwards. If God created us as emotional beings, then what is the greatest object upon which our emotions should be expressed? It's God himself. And so worship is a place where we properly express our emotions and, and uh, our passion for, for Jesus. But the focus, again, is Jesus. And uh, our focus is on honoring the Lord. But he said this, quoting the Bible again, that when strangers, when non-believers come into the context of this dynamic, loving, worshiping community, they literally feel the presence of another world. And that's what we're after on Sundays. We want people to sense that they've come into uh, the presence from another world. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is healing in and of itself. It's liberating. It's It sets you free. Uh, and so we need to have dynamic powerful community, uh, worshiping the Lord with passion. And, and that's really what we're after here at Living Stones and what every church, I believe, should be after. Let's talk about um, the last point. I thought this was so good because we don't hear much about this anymore. It's the whole notion of natural law. Natural law, he simply defines as, as the fact that this material universe in which we live is not just made of stuff. It's actually a morally embedded material universe. And he gives some good examples. You know, I was joking around a few weeks back that just because someone chooses not to believe in gravity doesn't mean that they automatically, oh, I, I, I'm deconstructing my faith in gravity, and then they start floating in the air. It doesn't work that way. Gravity is embedded. It's a law that's embedded into the natural realm. And if you disobey gravity, you're not liberated, you're actually dead. You know, if you jump out of an airplane because you want to fly like a bird, you're not going to fly just because you believe you can. Uh, you're going to crash. And the whole point is those, those laws, whether you like them or not, are embedded in the universe. And if you're a wise person, you don't disregard the law or pretend like it doesn't exist uh, or, expect, or expect the natural realm to adjust to your personal beliefs. You simply embrace it. Now, we can... We can, you know, use technology to to use the principles of the natural realm to fly like a bird. It's it's called aerodynamics, right? It's called uh, uh, air, all the airplanes and all the technology we have. We can actually fly like a bird um, by mastering the laws, not by ignoring them. But it's a whole different thing. Like he gives examples. So, so people, two men have sex, or a bunch of men having sex in a homosexual lifestyle, and they they get AIDS. What does our government do? Our government should say, Hey guys, we're violating a natural law. This will kill you. But because we reject God and reject the natural law that he's embedded in, in the world, we look for cures for AIDS. So we're, we're going to basically say, no, we're not going to change our behavior. We're going to look for medication that enables us to manipulate the environment so that we can keep doing whatever we, whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, with no side effects. Or when it comes to the transgender issue, it doesn't matter that you're a woman with breasts. We can remove those breasts and we can give you fake you know, biology, and, uh, and we can let you believe that you're really a man. In other words, we're going to manipulate the material stuff to fit our private understanding of reality, and that's a direct violation of natural law, which God has put in the universe for us to know him and to seek him and to find him. We've completely, we've thrown that out the window. And that, that's my thing against, like, about this argument on natural law is there's no reference for that anymore because you used to, natural law presumes that you can have a you can have an unbiased debate based on the sciences and the statistics. That doesn't work in our world anymore. Yeah. Look at the whole COVID vaccine situation. 
statistics and numbers and all these things doesn't make sense because all that can be manipulated and biased, right? You well, want to say natural say- law says says you know the best marriage, the best family is between one man and one woman. You get statistics; they can manipulate that. They can create new right. technology. So that argument in people's mind, because the whole the whole premise is we can control natural law. We can we can bend natural law. So that I mean, I think a while ago maybe we can use some of those arguments, yeah. but today it becomes more and tougher we would, and tougher. It's a good point. We would, <laughs> we would point out just to reinforce what we just said when when we say, well, science says we need to go wait pause. Yeah. Science doesn't speak. Scientists speak. Yeah. Scientists are not neutral. Agents, no. they are operating from their own worldview, their own biases, and they're interpreting data based to fit their their preconceived worldview. Yeah, and they come out later and say, "Oh, yeah, we we were a little messed up on that." I mean, again, the, it's it's, so, it's so a wild, wild out, west. You yes. have a good point, but it shows it yeah. shows it takes us right back to Romans one. It shows us the depraved yeah. human heart suppressing truth, rejecting God. I, I do and, think uh, for those who are open. Discussing the idea of natural law is important for them to understand. Just like you, you can't jump off a building and just believe, express. It doesn't matter how genuinely believe you can fly. You can't fly. <laughs> right. There are other natural laws that we must conform ourselves to, regardless of how you feel inside. That there's external ex- constraint to our reality. I think to people who are open, they need to understand that process. Yeah. But in in our course today, in our national debate today, it's just a tough thing to actually. Yeah. But, but we need yeah. to keep throwing this out there, yeah. you know. And we need to keep standing for truth, and that all of these things are true. Yeah. Um, the question is, will will a wicked human heart embrace it? Will yeah. Will we continue just to move fast forward with whatever we want to do, irregardless of consequences? The yeah. answer is probably yes. Which leads us to our conclusion. I'll be brief here. Uh, he says we need to have neither despair nor optimism, but we need to have simply Christian hope. We're in a fallen world. Um, it's not going to be completely fixed until Jesus returns. And yet the optimism and the hope is God's given us promises and the church is supernatural and Jesus is Lord and nothing's impossible. He is, history is his story. It's all moving towards his His predetermined end. It's going to be victorious for us. But in the meantime, you know, I think just like we started the, the, the podcast today, in the meantime, there's going to be some victories, there's going to be some defeats. Um, there's going to be some transformation and breakthrough, and there's going to be uh, some setbacks. Um, we ha- we cannot get depressed. We cannot, you know, throw in the towel, as you mentioned. We cannot disengage from culture. We have to We have to be faithful and true to our Lord and to the faith. We have to declare it. And, um, and in the end, uh, our job is to be faithful. Yeah. And, um, and we can do that with hope. Yeah. So I hope, hope we hope you've enjoyed all of this. Keep your head up, stay involved, stay engaged, keep watching because our goal is to equip you so that we can do all those things we just said we needed to do. Uh, but in the meantime, let's be full of the joy of the Lord, not not the not fear. Let's move ahead in faith um, and uh, and just believe again that uh, the Lord is on the move. We're going to see great things happen. America is not beyond hope. Uh, we are prisoners of hope, and we're believing uh, that together. As the Church of Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, we can see amazing, amazing transformation in our nation and in the nations of the world. In fact, that's what we've been called to. So we love you all. Thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday.